Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. Hey, today is the uh, third Sunday that we're talking about finding freedom. And uh, I'm so excited. I'm excited that my podium is coming back. Somebody stole this. And I think I know who, and uh, I'll, I'll meet with them later this week and find out who's been taking my podium. Um, anyway, uh, I'm glad you're here. You know, we, um, well, before I, I tell you any more about this, something happened last week, and I just, I can't, it, it's sensitive, so I want to be careful not to overshare here. But I want to tell you, I, I want to share this story with you because I think it'll really help you understand where I want to go today. Last Sunday, uh, there was a, a gentleman here <clears throat> who um, has really been struggling in life. I, I mean, he has, he has had years of carrying huge weight in his life, and it has had so many bad repercussions. And, and it wasn't uh, because that he wasn't uh, a, a Christian. He invited Christ into his life, but he's just carrying all of the stuff in his life. And after Sunday, Sunday afternoon, he called uh, one of the people on our DC care team and just said, I give up. I, I really am desperate for God to change my life. And this, this is a huge, huge breakthrough for this person. And so what he decided to do was with the help of a couple of our incredible DC Care team members, um, he got involved in a program that he's literally taking a year out of his life and giving himself to God, for God to change him, to work in his life. It's a total radical thing that, that's taking place. I am so excited for him. Um, you don't need to know who it is, but I just want you to pray for this guy. And, and, and then I want you to do something too. I want you to think about maybe seeing yourself in the same situation. And, and I don't want all of you to go to a program for a year. I need you here paying tithes and giving. And, and by the way, I don't want, uh, don't get confused with what Josiah says about, hey, we don't want your money. Um, <laughs> that is not for people who are part of our church, right? These are for our guests. And I know some of you think you've been a guest for like five years. You're not. All right. But I'm just saying, uh, what I want you to do is think about that story that I've just shared with you because I think he, this, this person may represent us in so many ways that I'm hoping today maybe you'll see some of that. You'll understand what I'm saying and what I, what I hope for your life. We've been talking about finding freedom. And our mission is on the wall. We want people to know God. We want them to find freedom. We want them to discover their purpose, and we want them to make a difference in, their, in, in, in the world around them. And I want that for every one of us. Um, this is my mission in life. This is not something that, you know, I want for you that I'm not doing. I am in this up to my eyeballs, and, and this is how I live. And, and I, you know, I, I am so thankful I know God, and I continue to find freedom. In other words, this isn't linear. This encompasses our life. And more and more, I discover why I've been put on the planet, and more and more, I have a desire, especially as I get older, I really want my life to make a difference in the lives of others. And this should be something that we all go after. And when you look in the Bible and you look at the first six chapters of the Bible, you'll see this pattern laid out in an incredible way. Uh, the book of Genesis is, you know, you, you read early on about creation and all the things that, that happen. And in the middle of that book, God begins to call a group of people to himself. Now, we're so fortunate like, that that's not the only group that God called to be his people because we find out in Galatians and Ephesians that we all can be grafted into this family. But God created a group of people, the Israelites, to be his people, the Jewish people. And it was so amazing the things that he did to make all of that happen. And so all through the book of Genesis, you see this this picture of Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, and, and it just goes on and on. It's an incredible thing. And the book of Genesis ends with the story of Joseph saving the children of Israel from starvation. 
And he did that by finding himself the, uh, basically the chief of staff of, of Egypt, and he invited the Israelites to come and live there during a time of famine. We get into the book of Exodus, and something terrible has happened. 400 years have transpired since the time of Joseph. And the very first chapter in the book of Exodus talks about the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, no longer recognized the Israelites as God's people. In fact, they were afraid of them. In fact, they enslaved them, and they were, they were slaves for 400 years. Over 400 years, people, I mean, think about how many generations of families that was. People no longer knew God. There was no religion. There was no God. There was no temple. There was no... Um, tabernacle. There was nothing. They had nothing. They were godless. They, they, God was a fable at best. And so when God brought Moses into the picture to set the people free, the first thing that God did was he created a series of miracles that had a two-prong approach. One was to get them out of Egypt, but mo- more than that, to show them that there was a God, that there was somebody that was like off the charts miraculous, that, that there was somebody who loved them and cared for them. And over and over in the book of Exodus, you see that God wanted his people to know him. We talk about that here a lot. That's the first thing that God wants from our lives. He wants us to know him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. Not a religion, not ritual, not rules and regs, but a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing thing. And, and so we see that begin to take place in the book of Exodus. And really the book of Exodus was supposed to be very short. It wasn't intended to be as long as it was. And, and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the books that follow Exodus. And they're all about what happened during the book of Exodus. And, and so it was only supposed to be an 11-day journey. Some people say 17. So between 11 and 17 days to get from Egypt to this land that God had prepared for them and promised to them. But it ended up being 40 years. And Exodus is the book I want to plant us in today and for the next couple of weeks. And then I want us to look to the book that really is the description of who we're supposed to be in finding freedom. And um, so, so Joshua is that book and, and um, also that person. And in the book of Joshua, we see every element that is needed for us to find freedom. Now let me come back to our friend from last week. Here's a guy who asked Christ into his heart, but he's carrying around this huge load of unfreedom, if you call it that, non-freedom. Things that have happened in his past, things that he did to himself, things that others did to him, things that, chances that he never was given. All of these things, they all came together to create this hellish life. And so knowing God is, is it's, it's amazing. It sets us free from death. But as we've all learned, if we've walked through the Christian life, when you accept Christ, it doesn't make you perfect, number one. Number two, it doesn't necessarily mean you're free. In fact, that's what all, all of Exodus is about. You had people who knew God, people who were set free from slavery, People who had, they were, I mean, for 400 years, all you did was make bricks and eat and sleep and make bricks and die. And so for the first time, the Israelites had something in front of them. But as we call it around here, you can get out of Egypt, but sometimes you can't get Egypt out of you. And I think maybe all of us could look at our friend from last week and say, hey, there's a part of me that's just like that. And it's the part that keeps us going around the mountain of Exodus where we, we, it should have been a short journey, but we keep going around and around and around. And we're dealing with, with 
pain and we're dealing with addiction and we're dealing with bad habits and, and, and life patterns that keep messing us up and we can't quit drinking or we can't quit gambling or we can't quit lusting or we can't, can't quit being angry and we can't let go of the stuff in the past and, and we just stay there and stay there and those things mount up and, and sometimes we can be there for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, maybe a lifetime. And we never find the purpose that God has for our lives, and we never make the difference that we should. So my question is this, where are you living? Where are you? Are you at a point where you need to know God? You need to begin the relationship. Are you at a point where you need to find freedom or discover your purpose so you can make a difference in the world? Where are you? Only you can answer that question. But I want to park on the freedom again for today and for the next two weeks. There's a theme passage of scripture here that's amazing. And it's our, it, it's the thing I want to come back to every week. And I, I, well, let me just read a first, the first couple lines here. And I want to talk about something. If you think, this is first, first Corinthians 10. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Now, I want you to get this. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. I just want to stop here for a moment because some of you think that you are like the one person that doesn't get it. You're the one person that's so messed up you can't get it figured out. You're the one person who is so alone and so vile or so stuck that you are in a class all your own. And I want you to, I want you to hear this. That is the biggest lie that Satan will ever feed you. He has got you just like that, that stupid deer on the screen. The, the deal was they were all alone, right? Look how vulnerable we are when we're alone. John Deere, that's who that was. Um, what's it say? Temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You just don't talk about yours. You don't know about theirs. One great thought when it comes to life groups. But it goes on. It says, God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. You may disagree with that. We'll, we'll come back to that. When you are tempted, here's something I want you to get today, and this is, this is really huge. He will show you a way out so that you can endure. Listen, it doesn't say that he will set you free. He will wipe out all the stuff. It says, he will show you a way out. So you have to participate. And today, now I want to get to Joshua chapter 3, and I want to give you what I think is maybe the greatest key to your freedom. One that you probably ignore at times, or we have the tendency to do this because we think this is all about gritting our teeth and, and, and doing our best, and maybe one day we'll get out of this mess. Joshua 3, verse 14 says this. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan. Here we go. This is the big event. This has been 400 years in the making. It is time to finally cross out of the wilderness into the promised land. And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed on to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people, check out the terms, crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So these are the crossover people. These are the people that are moving out of the wilderness into the promised land, into the land of freedom, into the life as it was supposed to be lived. And we need to look very closely at what happened, what needed to take place, what they did to understand what's going on. Now, we are all crossover people. We, we have different things in life we cross over. When, when you're a little kid, there's a point where you 
cross over and end up going to school. Unless you have helicopter parents and then they go with you. But hopefully at some point you cross over and there's new freedom. Mom is not there to tell me what to do. Trust me, there are plenty of other people who will take her place, but you cross over. There's um, getting a driver's license. That's a crossover point. For me, that was everything. I started dreaming of driving when I was 12. I actually started driving at age 14. Then my football coach caught me doing that in his neighborhood. And then that put me on a two-year hiatus before I got a license. And that's, this was all true, I, I promise you. Um, but when I got my license, there was freedom. That, like I've never, and to this very day, every time I get in the car, I just feel like I'm free. I, there's something wrong with me. I know that. I get that. I, you know, it's, just, it's a mess. But I, lo- I, I, I think when, when you become come too old and you struggle and you can't drive anymore, for me, that's going to be a really bad time. And I see that in people. Because we've crossed over into a freedom that's very amazing. And, and we love it. Um, graduating from high school. I didn't know if that was going to happen in my case. And, and, and to cross over, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm free. And, and just, you know, then, then we um, get married. And then that's a whole new freedom. And then some other things come along, right? And, and so, but we have all these crossovers. The, the biggest one, I think, is at age 50. And the crossover that happens then is colonoscopies. And that is, that's like a whole new world. You talk about being free. Um, perks, then, then, then there's a crossover at age 60. Here's some of the things that happen when you cross over at 60. First of all, kidnappers are no longer interested in you. Um, in a hostage situation, you're likely to be released first. No, no one expects you to run anywhere. Um, people call at 9 p.m. and said, did I wake you? <laughs> it happens to me all the time. Uh, you can eat dinner at 4 p.m. Yeah, you get into, because you go to bed at 8. Right, you have to have some time for digestion. Um, you get into heated arguments about pension plans and you no longer think of speed limits as a challenge. You quit trying to hold in your stomach no matter who walks into the room uh, and you sing with elevator music. Those are crossover people, right? Uh, we all have these crossovers. We, we, we move into this promised land, this next phase of life. But in this particular case, in this case of, of crossing over into the life that God has planned for us is no small matter. It is no small thing. In fact, I believe that it is absolutely essential for you if you're going to live the life that God has planned for you. And who does not want that? I mean, if our creator has created a great life for us, don't we want that? And so I want to come back to the scripture that I read because I want to draw your attention to one thing that that we read there. And it was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, Maybe you've read that and you have some idea what it is. Maybe you've never even thought about it. But the Ark of the Covenant was a, a box that was built by Moses and his craftsmen in the book of Exodus. And, and it was, it was uh, designed, and, and the architect of that was God himself, who spoke to Moses and showed him exactly how it was to be built. And I'm not going to get in-depth in the Ark of the Covenant. There's some things that were put in there that just were displays of the power of God but it wasn't so much, I don't want to spend time thinking about the, 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 all the pieces of this. I want you to understand this and write this down in your notes. The Ark of the Covenant was a sign of God's presence, a picture of the Holy Spirit. A picture of the Holy Spirit. And I introduce that to you today because the, what, what you need from God in this crossover time What you need in order to be free is a requirement of the work of God's Holy Spirit in your life. Let me read a passage of Scripture out of Galatians that speaks to this. Paul says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Notice once again, he's not changing everything for you. The Holy Spirit wants to guide you. But 
The Holy Spirit wants to guide you. By the way, just let me stop for a moment so you know what I'm talking about here. For those of you who, who haven't been part of church in, in much of your life, which we have quite a few people like that here, God is what we would call a trinity. Don't ask me to explain how all of this works. I, I can't do it. But you see three personas of God in Scripture. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the creator of all. God the Father is is that person who wanted us, wanted us and grafted us to be his people. But because he is so holy and so perfect and pure, none of us have the ability to relate to him because we are so impure and imperfect. And God saw this and he recognized it. And he recognized we would never be good enough. And so to, to be able to communicate with us, the Bible says that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, Jesus is the way we get to God. It's the way we can become, become perfect, made perfect through him that we can't do ourselves. But there was only one Jesus, and he was not omnipresent throughout the earth. And when he was crucified, right before that, he says, hey, my father's going to send uh, through me, another presence that goes everywhere, that's everywhere, that's all-powerful representation of God, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so we're talking about a presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, so to speak, that has been poured out all across the earth. And we all now have the ability to have a relationship with God, all of us, individually, not, not as a church or not as a nation, but as an individual we have this presence of the Holy Spirit that, that guides our lives. He says, let the Holy Spirit guide your life and you won't be doing what your sinful nature, think about that, what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Now, I want you to think about this. We've seen this picture before where you've got the devil on your shoulder on one side with the horns and a pitchfork, and you've got Jesus on the other side, and they're like battling out, and your head's like in the middle, right? And that's not a bad picture. It's actually not a bad picture at all because what Paul is saying here is something very similar, that that there's always this nature trying to mess us over, and then there's this other nature, this spiritual thing, the Holy Spirit, that doesn't want to see Satan win these fights in our lives. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Listen to what he says. These two forces, and I've talked about this a lot. There's a war going on. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out. This is so important. You're not free to carry out your good intentions. How many of you have had good intentions? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defeat this thing in my life. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. And what do we do? We get into a situation. Oh, I think I, I, I want to do this now. It, it feels good. And then, oh, man, I can't believe I failed. And I'm, I'm so sorry. And, and God, please forgive me. I'll never do it again. And then we get back into the situation. Our intentions are so good. And we fail again. And it just happens over and over and over. And Paul is saying that our good intentions won't work. I don't care how disciplined you think you are. They will not take care of the issue. And the issue, the problem, is what God wants to get, get to. He wants us to get to the place where our sinful nature is destroyed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is obviously a process. And it obviously takes intention. So, what do we learn here from the Israelites? Two things. Number one, write this down. You need to see... What God is doing, and then you follow him. You need to see what God is doing, and you follow him. Here's the picture. Joshua chapter 3, verse 3 says, When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, move out from your positions and follow them. And he goes on. And he says, since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. I want you, to, I want you to think about that. God wants to take you somewhere that you've never been. 
You may be one of these people, you've been fighting this, this spiritual battle yourself. You've had all the good intentions. You, you're trying to do right, and you don't, and you, it heaps guilt on you, and you just keep doing the same things over and over. And Paul says here that we have, I'm sorry, Joshua says you've never traveled this way before. You haven't done this. In other words, there's something you need to do. I mean, for, for 40 years, they were trying to get to the promised land. They kept doing the same thing over and over, going around Mount Sinai over and over for 40 years. They were seriously lost. Who would have, you would think somebody would have known how to get, to get to the promised land. But they kept doing the same things over and over, and don't we do that? So Joshua says that they are, you've never traveled this way before, so let them guide you. Let, let the Ark of the Covenant guide you. Let the Spirit guide you. Let them show you, here's from our key verse, show you a way out. You've been in the wilderness. You've given yourself a name that identifies you as never being free. I talked about that last week. You should, you should go back and listen to that if you weren't here last week. And I know a lot of you weren't here last week because you laughed at the John Deere thing, and we showed it last week. So I, I, it told me a lot. Um, pastors think that way. We're sick. Um, so... Are you going to follow, or are you going to go off on your own and do what you've always done before, thinking maybe that'll change some things? Even Jesus had to live his life like this. John 5, 19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son, he's talking about himself, the Son can do nothing by himself. Even Jesus needed to follow God. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. So the first thing that you learn from the Israelites is you see what God's doing and you follow him. At times, number two, at times your actions will seem foolish. Foolish. Joshua 3 verse 8. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. They are doing something that is foolish. In fact, back when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, if you remember, Moses waved his staff or did something, and the Red Sea parted. Nobody had to take any faith steps that day. The sea just parted, and they walked across on dry ground. But here, somebody's got to step in the water. And I, I just recently, with, with some of our family members, saw, saw the Jordan River uh, multiple times. If you've been to Israel, you, you've known this. I wasn't surprised because I'd been there before and I've seen this many times. The Jordan River is not a river. It's, it's like half the size of Goose Creek, literally. It is small. You can cross over the Jordan River and have no clue you just crossed over the Jordan River where the whole Bible was written basically, right? And, and, but in the harvest time, in the springtime, the rains come. Then it's more like the Shenandoah River except deep. And so this was harvest time when they were headed into the promised land and stepping in. And, and by the way, this was, the river was wide and it was rushing because it was coming out of the mountains up, up by Jerusalem and that whole area and coming down into this really dry land and hard, crusty land. So the water can't get saturated. It's all headed to the Dead Sea and it is moving. It is flying. And these people had to step in the water. Listen, crossover people, people who are going to make a change, people who are literally going to be set free are going to have to take steps of faith. Sometimes these are things that you have to do that nobody else has to do, at least the people you know. Let me say that again. Sometimes you are going to have to take steps that nobody around you has to do. And you can't be bothered by that. For those of you who are struggling with alcohol, you may, oh, I got that under control. But you have to have a drink a day. You, you just don't do well without that. And you've tried to stop, and you can't. And so you can moderate it. You may have to make the decision, I'm never going to a bar again. I'm never going to buy this and bring it in the house again. Never. Other people can, I can't, and won't. 
Well, it's kind of expected to me, of me with my job. And listen, quit your job if it's that big. If it's destroying your life, go figure something else out. God will take care of you, but you can't keep doing the same things over and over and expect to get out of the wilderness. What about friends? I encourage people to stay with their friends and, and because as, as we become believers, we can share that message with others. But sometimes we have friends who we have to sever relationships with because they keep taking us down the tubes. I don't need to say a whole lot about that because you know how it works. Sometimes there are things on TV we can't watch. Just can't. Because it's messing us over. And everybody else seems to be okay with it, but I can't. They can. Sometimes it's social media. You know, your, your life group is right in the palm of your hand, isn't it? It's just, you can't stop. You can't put it down. Can you imagine a phone without Facebook? Maybe you should. You know, you, all of your relationships are in a box in your hand. What is it that's, that would be radical, that would seem foolish to others, but perhaps the Holy Spirit is requiring that of you? My, my dad, you, you, many of you know my dad, and World War II veteran, and he has a map of um, Iwo Jima when, when they crossed into Iwo Jima. And the, the deal behind Iwo Jima was that we needed to, to put an airstrip in Iwo Jima. And so they sent three divisions of Marines into Iwo Jima to take the, the, the land and build that air that airstrip. And... My dad had the map of Iwo Jima that they were given, and his, his group was part of the group that actually got the Marines into Iwo Jima. And they had the, he showed me the picture of the island, and all around the outside of the island was this dotted line, and it had PNR, PNR, PNR all around. And so I'm like, Dad, what's, what's PNR? He goes, oh, that's a point of no return. I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, when the landing craft would go in loaded with Marines, he said there's a line, and everybody knew where it was. And when you crossed the line, there was no turning back. If, if, if you were getting slaughtered, if the guys on your, your boat were just getting shot or messed up, he goes, you didn't stop. You could not stop. You had to go on. I've, I've never forgotten that. I would never want to be in that kind of life and death situation but I do believe that for some of us, we need a PNR line in our lives as a place that we go over and we don't ever stop after that. We set the boundaries and this is it. I am committed. I'm not turning back. I'm not changing this in my life. If I have to build this difficult, foolish thing in my life for the rest of my life, I'll do it because I don't want to live in the wilderness and then die. And that's something that we can really learn from what happened here with the Jordan River crossing. We follow God's spirit. We find a way through. Powerful principle. So I want to give you two really quick things that you can do. We can begin to work on. Number one, we need to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we don't do this ourselves. We've tried that. It doesn't work. Depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does some things for us. It convicts us. When we're wrong, we know we're wrong. It's a conviction. It comforts us. He guides us. He's a counselor. He prompts us. He gives us power from heaven. In fact, he is our only source of power. We can't come up with enough power to make this work. Romans 8, 12, Paul said, You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do, for if you live by that dictate or those dictates, you will die. What's that mean? It doesn't mean that you're going to... Like, die, die, you might, but, but it means that things around you will die. Your marriage will die. Your, your relationship with your children will die. Your ability to be successful and accomplish great things in your life, that all dies if you keep giving in to your sinful nature. Those are the things that we value and we will never have if we don't cross the line. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. But the power of the Spirit has to be there. Now, there's something here I want you to do. This is a little bit of homework. You can do it right now if you want, but you might want to take this home and just put this between you and God. 
I put a little line in your notes that says, I admit that I am powerless over fill in the blank, whatever it is. Maybe something that you've tried to get power over and it just hasn't worked. What is it you're powerless against? against? And then you make a declaration. I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit will heal me and make me whole. What a huge faith statement. You're going to back that up with how you walk, what you do. Number two, I want you to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The prompting. Galatians 5, Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I think what Paul is telling us here is that we don't have to be held hostage by what's in a bottle. We don't have to be held hostage by what's on TV or what messes us over or what somebody did to us 20 years ago or what we did to ourselves and who we, we don't have to be held hostage. Through the power of God's Spirit, we can nail those things to the cross of Christ. It's not without our participation. I'm going to talk about that at great length next week. But today, I want to just give you this thought that you don't have to be held hostage any longer. You know, I wish, when I was growing up, I wish our church denomination had understood this. I wish somebody would have taught me some of this. And I think when I look back on it, I'm pretty sure the reason they didn't is because they didn't understand it for themselves. Nobody told me that I would be doing things that other people did. I had this horrible sense that I was the only one who was having these problems or these issues or feeling this way. I didn't know that it was common to everyone around. I didn't know that I needed to share those things. You know, James 5.16 says, you know, you share your, your sins, your problems with one another so you can be healed. Nobody ever told me that. And, 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 but what they did say is that if you don't get rid of this, you're going to die and go to hell. And you know what I've discovered? I've discovered many of you grew up the same way. Probably different religions or different types of church. But we always knew how to kill people with guilt. What Paul is teaching, what Joshua is teaching, is so much different. It's how to be free. How to be free. I'm going to give you one last thing here, and then I'm going to have our team come out and share with you for a moment. I'm just going to give you this. Write it down. And then we're going to get into it next week. But you need to know this so you can plan for what's coming. I had a professor in college tell me this uh, many, many, many years ago. I've never forgotten it. And it's so simple. It's this. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. Write that down. This is huge. <laughs> this, is, this is big. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. Think about that for a little bit. I'm going to have our team come out. We're going to talk a little bit about one of the ways that, that we employ to bring freedom to people's lives, and that's by building relationships. And so I, I want them to just share and, and talk to us about uh, what we're doing today and how Life Groups helps us with this whole idea of sin. And so, Brody, you're up, man. All right. So uh, first base groups are, are one type of group that we offer with Life Groups, and what these groups are is it's normally an interest-based group. So it can be about hiking, it can be about playing cards, it can be about playing volleyball. It can be anything that people are passionate about and we take those passions and we put purpose behind them. Um, more specifically, how these groups will help you when it comes to uh, depending on the Holy Spirit in your life is that uh, the very first thing is that when you think about heaven, um, think about what that will be like. 
There will be a lot of fun. There will be a lot of laughter. If God is everything that is good, there's going to be a lot of family, a lot of community, um, a lot of amazing things. And these first base groups will bring that into your life. Um, another thing is that these groups, a lot of you have been self-dependent. You think, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to get this done. But what First Base Groups is it brings you into relationships where you realize, I can't do this on my own. Mm -hmm. I absolutely have to have other people in my life to be the person that God has called me to be. And if we're supposed to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, um, that is so important for us to be able to be dependent on other people, dependent on the Holy Spirit. And God will use those relationships to speak into our lives. Uh, the very last reason why I would suggest to get into a first base group if you need to rely on the Holy Spirit is that you will find complete acceptance. People will accept you for who you are, wherever your, your stage of life is, and it'll be a place where you can be yourself, you can be honest with who you are. Uh, a lot of you may be struggling with isolation, with depression, um, with, with feeling like no one's going to accept you. And God accepts you right now where you are. And getting into one of these first base groups, you won't have to come in and, and completely share all your problems. Um, there's not even like a, a study or you won't have to sit down and go through questions. It's based on an interest group, but you'll realize, man, I'm loved and I'm accepted with where I am. And it helps you to realize that the Holy Spirit loves you and he accepts you and he will uh, work in your life where you are right now. Uh, so those are some of the, re the reasons that I would suggest to get into a first base group if you're really needing uh, freedom and really needing to rely on the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, second base groups are really cool because they have the same goal in mind as first base groups in all groups, is to bring people together that, to find community, to find family, to find a place of connection and acceptance. But what makes second base groups really cool is I love what Pastor Greg said about um, what you feed grows and what you starve dies. And these groups are specifically based on that. So let me give you a couple examples. Um, if you are struggling with your finances, you might need to starve your finances so that you can get them in order. And we have a group, Financial Peace University. Or maybe you need to um, feed into your marriage, or we have groups on marriage. Maybe you need to um, feed into raising your kids, like we have groups on that. These groups are specific to those areas that you might have put down on, on your message notes in that blank. Um, and we have groups for that. And what's really cool is that these groups, everybody in them has the same struggle, the same fight that you're having. You're not alone. And, um, and sometimes that's the hardest part because um, you don't want to be alone. So that's why these groups exist, um, to help you find that community that you can find freedom in. So, cool. I love the scripture Pastor Greg was sharing earlier about how sometimes we feel so worthless or shameful that we feel like we're kind of like in a class of our own. And the cool thing about when you look in the Bible is you see story after story of people who were just like us. Gideon's like one of the first that comes to mind. God came to him and said, I'm going to use you. And he said, but I'm the littlest in my family and my family's the littlest in town. And he was like, he felt like nobody. He felt like nothing. And the cool thing about life groups is you can maybe start by playing some volleyball or going on a hike and maybe get into like a study. But as you kind of come around the bases and go through this progression, you realize God has gifted me and placed me on this earth to do something to impact the lives of other people for his kingdom. And I love how the Bible kind of says that we get to be the, the light of the earth, the salt of the earth. And it's not us. It's Jesus in us. And so third base groups are where people come up with creative ways and passions and ideas to instead of taking the focus of, of turning inwards, which is totally fine, getting in a group and having fun or getting in a group and focusing on a growth area, third base groups take the focus and turn it outwards. And we get to look at the community and find ways that we can get out of our groups, get out of the walls of the church building and actually get into the world and to shine our light and to be the salt of the earth and to love people for Jesus. And so uh, we have several groups. I'm so pumped. Several third base groups this semester. Uh, Helmut is going to be in the back. Uh, and he's, if you're kind of thinking, man, I want to do something, I just don't know what, you got to get into his incubator group where you're just going to get with other people to dream up ways that we can go out into culture and make a difference. Saturday Serve, we're, we're still plugging along with that, and it's amazing. Every Saturday here at church, we meet at 10 a.m., and then we're in the community. We're at the Fields Apartments, loving children, loving moms, loving dads, having fun, 
And it's because God has placed us here to make a difference in the lives of of people around us. And so I want to encourage you, there's really no wrong choice up here. If you're in a first base group, awesome. It's an amazing place to start. If you need to grow, plug into a second base group. But ultimately, we want you to kind of to grow in your faith. Just take one step and end up in a place where you say, I am valuable. God put me here for a reason and for a purpose. And I know I can make a difference for his kingdom. Thanks, guys. Stay here for just a moment. I want everybody to understand this is baseball, okay? This is holy. And so first base, second base, third base, and home plate. Um, But I want to specifically talk to those of you who have never, ever been in a group before, a life group of any kind. And you look at this, I don't need this, or... But I want you to look at where you are in your life. I want you to be very, very intentional thinking about where you are right now and what you need. I will tell you, you will never get to where God wants you to be by yourself. And so what these groups do, give us an opportunity to grow in ways that we never imagined. Remember what... what, we learned from Joshua, you have never been this way before. You've never gone this way. You don't know where you're supposed to go. And I believe that that becomes more and more clear as we get with people and we share our lives. And so first base is about relationships and it's about getting to know people and enjoying what you're doing with people. And oh, there's so much ministry that, that, that happens without us even having to try a whole lot because It's just about people coming together and and growing together. And then second base is, you know, now we're more into some discipleship issues and growth issues and specific issues in life. And, and, And so you will go to a dimension you've never grown in by being in one of these groups. And then third base is all about serving others. And some of you, if you would take our, our uh, step three today, which is discovering purpose, you'll find out, out will come on the paper something you've always known is you love to serve. You love to help people. You've got a passion for people who are hurt or messed up or, or don't have a chance. And there are groups. In fact, we have a group that is about the groups where we're like, hey, we don't know what we're supposed to do, how we could serve, but let's sit around and create something that changes our community. So this is huge. And my goal for everybody is to hit the home run where you begin to make a difference in the lives of others and your life is all of a sudden fulfilled. Hey, let's give it up for these guys. They've done a great job here every week. Thank you, guys. All right, real quick close. I got three things, three action steps for you. Number one, join a life group. You're going to be able to do that in just a moment. Number two, make a list this week of the things that you are feeding and that things that you are starving that contribute to your problem, to your slavery. They're going to be different than, than other people. But just from what you've heard, just this, we haven't even talked about this. We just planted the seed today. What are the things that you think you're doing that feeds your slavery? That, that feeds you not being able to get free? What are you doing to yourself? What are the things that you're starving? Maybe life groups is one of those. Maybe it's a quiet time. What are you starving that's keeping you from finding freedom? And then the last thing, make a new list. What things are you going to feed and what things are you going to starve in order to find the freedom that God has for you? We're going to close um, with a a song that I absolutely love. It's called Break Every Chain. And it's all about slavery, and it's all about freedom. Um, I don't want you running around in the wilderness, not knowing where you're going. I don't, I, I'm so saddened when I see lives fall apart because they've been playing with this fire for way too long. And then everything comes crashing down, and I don't want that. I, I hate that. When I hear stories of what happened last week and, and what God did in the life of one man, oh, I, feel, I feel like I could fly because of the freedom that I know this man's going to find in his life. And I want you to know 
the Holy Spirit is a power that will transform your life. But the Holy Spirit doesn't live life for you. The Holy Spirit shows you the way out. Next week, we're going to talk about walking. But today, as we sing this song, as I pray, I'm going to pray that God would step in and blow apart some chains that have kept you bound. So as you sing this song, I want you to have that as your prayer. Whatever it is that needs to be set free in your life, I want you to pray that in the words of the song. For some of you, um, you may not have any idea what we've been talking about, but something's resonated in your heart and your mind today. And probably my guess would be that maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you haven't invited him to come into your heart. You don't even understand what that means. But I got to tell you, religion is worthless. I, I'm, I'm sold on the fact that religion is worthless. It just has no value, no redemptive value whatsoever. Knowing about God is so foreign to knowing God. And if you know about God, but you don't know God, if you don't have that relationship, I invite you to take a step and say yes to God. I invite you into my life. And let me say this. Some of you will feel something incredible. And some of you may never feel anything like that. But as you walk through that life, you will find freedom. You'll discover purpose and you'll make a difference with your life. This isn't about emotion. It's about a decision. Not about religion. It's about a relationship. So as we sing, I want you to think about that because I'm going to pray specifically for you at the end as well, give you an opportunity to decide to follow Jesus. Would you stand and let's sing this song?